Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the Venture Games podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, and today I'm thrilled to introduce my next guest, Manuel Brownstein, Chief Product Officer at Roblox, one of the most popular game platforms for young gamers and creators today. How's it going, Manuel? Hey, Chris. It's going great. Awesome. Thanks for joining me. So to kick things off, for those who are not that familiar with your background, can you just talk about your professional background and the path that got you to where you are today? Sure. I mean, I started uh, as an electrical engineer. I grew up in Venezuela. Not very common to find a lot of product development jobs there. <laughs> so so decided to do the most common thing that electrical engineers would do and decided to join Procter & Gamble to do marketing <laughs> for detergents. Mm -hmm. That was super fun and an amazing learning experience. Fortunately, a colleague started a startup in New York, actually in the online trading card space. Mm -hmm. So way ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. And he asked me to join. And of course, my technology calling uh, had the right number. And I ended up joining him and worked with him and, and his team. We were doing online trading cards for entertainment properties. So it was mm -hmm. really cool for movies or TV shows. Of course, this was in 2000, not the <laughs> best year for startups to, to thrive. Yeah. Uh, and, and things, you know, the company actually ended up doing well as a good lifestyle business. But then I decided to go to business school. And that's where I went to Haas, mm -hmm. which was an amazing experience. And, you know, specialized on product development, product design, a little bit of entrepreneurship and so forth. And was fortunate enough to join the Xbox team about two years before the Xbox 360 launch. And it was an amazing experience. I spent a ton of time on Xbox. I, I think it was about seven years doing uh, different jobs from hardware to Xbox Live to incubation and so forth. They wanted to do at some point something more entrepreneurial or earlier stage. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, seeing the trend in social gaming. I had actually built a game as a service at Xbox. So I was very familiar with the space. Mm -hmm. And at that point, uh, connected with Zynga, I ended up deciding to move to the Bay Area and join them. This was relatively early and it was a fun, fun time there doing, a, you know, work on poker, Farmville and a few other games. Did that for about four and a half years. And then uh, I went to YouTube, which mm -hmm. was amazing. Learned a lot about growing and scaling user-generated content platform. And that was doing phenomenally. It led a number of consumer products there. Did that over four years as well or so. And then decided to go and try something new and learn about machine learning, NLP, and a few other things. And mm -hmm. joined the Google Assistant team. Uh, again, super, super fun experience. Dealing with a lot of interesting ecosystem challenges, technology challenges, product. And then, you know... I guess that I joke sometimes that if all my past jobs had a kid, uh, it would look a lot like Roblox. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to meet the CEO five years ago and we kept in touch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at some point last year, we started connecting a lot more and got super excited about this space and decided to join him as a chief product officer. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So taking, you know, thanks for all the background, uh, but just taking a step back, you know, while Haas isn't known for it, there actually are quite a few successful folks within gaming who have gone to Haas at some point, right? So there's John Hankey at Niantic, uh, Kevin Chu at Kabam, a number of others. Uh, why do you think this is? Do you think it's sort of just a random coincidence? You know, I, I hadn't 
thought much about it, but I think that what tends to happen is that someone took a chance, mm -hmm. whether it was a student and also a company, and brought in a has person to go and work on a gaming company. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, maybe that person did phenomenally well. <laughs> And other companies kept coming and then more people ended up thinking about gaming within Haas mm -hmm. and then conferences and classes and different programs get created around that because there's a ton of excitement by the student community mm -hmm. that in turn probably attracts more companies to come, but also more people to think about gaming ideas and startups at Haas. And then, you, you know, there's a little bit of word of mouth, network mm -hmm. effects kicked in. And the culture and program supported, and now you have a school that has been placing a lot of good people in the industry. Sure. Okay. And I know you have jumped around quite a bit in your career, you know, but it's you. You certainly spent quite a bit of time, sort of in and around the gaming industry. So, what drove that uh, interest in in gaming? You know, are you a gamer today? Growing up, were you a gamer? Uh, and if you are gaming today, what games are you playing? Yeah, you know, gaming, it's interesting, right? I, again, going back to my growing up in Venezuela, mm -hmm. I was fortunate, and I'm going to date myself, to, <laughs> to have the opportunity to play with many, many gaming consoles mm -hmm. uh, growing up. So I think started with uh, Atari 2600, mm -hmm. uh, even tried in television, ColecoVision, and then went to NES mm -hmm. and, and a few others. Stopped for a bit, then went into PC gaming for a while. But then, you know, Maybe towards the junior or senior years in high school, I kind of stopped. You know, I was paying attention to other things and uh, arguably life gets in the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, growing up, as I said, growing up in my country, you, you would never think that you would work in game development, right? Mm -hmm. At that time, you think, oh, you know, this is uh, Japanese companies or American companies or maybe European companies, mm -hmm. not as common to find a job in the industry right. or to think about that. But as a person who loved games growing up, you know, you couldn't resist the ideas of as you're playing the game, thinking about how would you improve it? Yeah. How would you fix it? And, and dream that at some point you could become one. Mm -hmm. But that took kind of like a backseat after I started, you know, going into my major in college and so forth. You know, I was fortunate enough that one thing led to the other. Uh, the startup that I joined in New York in some way was building a game. It was an mm -hmm. online trading card game. I was very connected to me, entertainment companies, because we were doing, you know, uh, collections for movies and TV shows. And that led to an internship in the music space, probably mm -hmm. because I had some background in business technology and entertainment. Uh, it helped me land that job. And then when you think about, okay, here's an MBA that has done music, has done entertainment, mm -hmm. maybe that was attractive enough for Xbox to think that I could be a good fit. Yeah. And then after joining Xbox, kind of like the, the rest is history, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one thing led to the other and, and, and I ended up doing the things that I've done so far. I don't consider myself a hardcore gamer anymore. Mm -hmm. Sadly, probably <laughs> don't have the time. Maybe I'll leave it vicariously through my kids who yeah. do play a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also more of a platform person. I, I, mm -hmm. What I care the most about, even though I have built games in my life, and that part has been amazing and mm -hmm. fun, I, I really enjoy the notion of creating this platform that allows others to build on top of and create amazing experiences. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a very good reason why now I'm at Roblox too. 
Mm-hmm. So you've been at a lot of these gaming companies at pretty interesting times in their life cycles, right? So going back to Xbox for a minute, what was your role there? And you mentioned you built a game there or helped you know build a game there. What was that game? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I cherish my Xbox days as a, an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. I was super fortunate to join, as I mentioned, two years before the Xbox 360 launch. Mm-hmm. But if you think about that time, the first Xbox was the first console, I think, to introduce a hard drive and an internet port. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't widely used in the first generation, <laughs> but, but the seams were, or the seats were planted, right? Yeah. That of what we wanted to build. And really, when you think about Xbox 360 is when multiplayer gaming on a console with Xbox Live took off. So that was a very key moment, right? Xbox is not, you know, multiplayer gaming already existed on the PC. Yeah. But I think that a Xbox made it really easy and accessible to people with good standards, voice communication, gamer tag, gamer score, and mm-hmm. all the key things, matchmaking, and all the things that the platform grew to do. So I was fortunate, as I mentioned, I, I got there early, worked first on the accessories for the Xbox 360, which was mm-hmm. fun. It was also the first time that we were building wireless controllers for a console, even work on the battery charger for the wireless <laughs> controller, which was a super interesting project. And then I got a chance to work on Xbox Live, led an incubation team. And as part of that incubation team, I, I thought about this idea of how do you merge this notion of social interactive gaming with mm-hmm. console gaming and how do you think about games as a service and how do you think about the intersection between say games and tvs mm-hmm. and tv shows and the effort or the deal was how can i make games more accessible to everybody and you know when you think about something that seems very accessible and everybody wants to play is game shows when you're watching them on tv yeah and we ended up designing this concept of we called it xbox live prime time and the idea was to create a menu of programmatic games and scheduled games that you will play synchronously at a given time. Mm-hmm. And we started with a game called One Versus 100, which was based on the TV show. We partnered with Endemol to do it. And it was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. It was probably one of the most fun times in my, in my life, building something that at the time, I mean, if you go back to 2008, 2009, it was really the first synchronous live game show with one single avatar that everybody else was looking at when they were the contestant. Mm -hmm. We had real host prices. You know, now you talk a few years later, seven or 10 years later, HQ Trivia and other platforms launched. Uh, But I want to believe that we we did it first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. As I have more of these conversations, especially with people who are more like veterans in the industry, it's really interesting how often, you know, history sort of repeats itself, right? Like you have all these things happening years before, you know, and arguably they were a little bit early, you know, but at the same time, uh, once HQ Trivia came around, you know, people loved it just as much as they did when you were working on your game uh, back then. You know, also, this was like a really crucial time for me in my gaming career. You know, I was a huge uh, Halo player. You know, I was there from like the earliest days of Xbox Live, really, really uh, grinding back then. And, you know, you mentioned how much you loved like the social aspects of, of gaming and just helping build out some of the social gaming things. So, you know, we're going to talk about Roblox a bit later, you know, but what was social gaming like in your opinion back then? Yeah, look, I think I think that at that time, social gaming was really multiplayer, synchronous multiplayer gaming. Mm-hmm. I mean, arguably, by the way, social gaming was you sitting next to your friend at your house yeah. playing a game together or mm-hmm. in a LAN party or something like that. But, but, you know, Xbox Live made it very cool in the sense that 
voice became very prevalent. So you mm-hmm. were chatting while you're playing. And then, you know, you would be playing in parties with a few friends or a bunch of strangers. Mm-hmm. And, and I think to that extent, that was the definition of social gaming mm-hmm. at the time. It was, it, it was nothing else than that. But then Zynga became a key pillar or, or, or player in that space. By the way, one tidbit, uh, as a Halo fan, you will appreciate it. Yeah. We, we had a live host in 1 versus 100, but we also had a NPC, like a, an avatar host that was a woman. And the voice of that woman is the same voice that we use for Cortana. Oh wow. so, so Cortana's <laughs> voice was part of uh, One Versus One Hundred. Yeah, of course, of course, in different character and right, different right. role, but it was the same voice actor. Yeah, no, that's that's really really awesome. Okay, and then you know, at the t- and again, we're going to talk about this as it pertains to Roblox a bit later. You know, but something that has sort of been persistently present in gaming, especially online gaming, has just been you know the issue of moderation. And so at the time, and you know, I'm not sure how close you were to, to this side of things, right? But at the time, what were some of the major sort of moderation challenges that you had to think about? I wasn't super, super close to it, but but you had the basic, you know, grievance that can happen when you're playing multiplayer online where you could report a user because they were misbehaving through voice. That was the extent of it because arguably the way to be a bad actor uh, and was mostly through boys or maybe somehow sabotaging the multiplayer yeah. game mm-hmm. um, at that time. Got it. Okay. And then fast forwarding, you know, another company you were at at a pretty exciting time was Zynga. So what was your time like at Zynga and what was sort of the gaming landscape like at this time? Yeah, Zynga was super fun. As I mentioned, look, when, when we did One versus 100 on Xbox, we treated it as a game, as a service. Mm-hmm. And the idea, what I mean by that, is that we didn't ship a disc. The game actually was trying to engage users every day with new content and new programming. And you were measuring more like daily audience, mm-hmm. more so than units of the game sold. Mm-hmm. I think that then you fast forward to when Zynga and some of these other companies launch in the marketplace, there were a few interesting concepts, right? I think it was clearly game as a service mm-hmm. and this notion of live ops for games was a big deal. I think the second thing that happened is that company found very creative way to create mechanics that ele- enable social playing in asynchronous ways. Uh, can we collaborate in this game experience even if we're not together at the same time? And I think that those social mechanics like inviting your friend to the game sending each other gifts, Mm -hmm. helping each other with tasks. I mean, poker definitely was synchronous multiplayer, but most of the games at that time were more on the, hey, how can we actually get the community to engage with each other in an asynchronous way, which in many ways it's more convenient, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're not, you don't have any dependency on who's online at the time. You know, one of the major issues with synchronous multiplayer is that if you stop playing, the other person may not find that cool right and whereas whereas here the there was no synchronous social obligation but there was a lot of interesting social mechanics as i Mm -hmm. mentioned with uh gifting reciprocity invitations and so forth yep no i definitely remember uh back in the farmville days getting bombarded by a notification that i received something okay and then so obviously today games as a service is like extremely prevalent it's you know very very successful it's obvious that this is like an amazing business model today but back you know back in the day it wasn't so obvious and so what gave the team so much confidence that this was going to be a model that would actually work yeah i think look i think that the company found 
heat in the mechanics, but it also found, you know, an amazing distribution channel initially on Facebook, mm -hmm. right? Which allow the team to quickly iterate to drive engagement and growth in the games. Mm -hmm. And and that, you know, it, it really ended up showing good results very quickly. And then you layer on top of that microtransactions. And, and now you started seeing these games that grew to audiences of millions mm -hmm. uh, in, I mean, I want to give a ton of credit to the team because it was hard work to actually do that. Yeah. But, but they grew in some way relatively fast. And then the monetization kicked in. And now you're still seeing really, really good numbers that kickstarted a full ecosystem. At that point, it was social games on top of Facebook. Mm -hmm. Eventually, all of those games transitioned to mobile or mostly transitioned to mobile. So it was very cool. I, I think that, you know, there were a lot of learning experiences that Zynga went through amazing transitions in very little time, mm -hmm. right? From inception to hyper growth, to going public, to shifts on the Facebook platform, to then the transition to mobile. And, and the company has done, now looking back, a phenomenal mm -hmm. job navigating all of those changes. And sometimes it's hard, you know, it's innovators dilemma one-on-one because yeah. you're thriving in one platform how quickly do you embrace the next one? It's always a hard problem, and, but the company has been able to navigate it in a in a very good way. Mm -hmm. No, it's been extremely impressive. Were you there at all during the mobile transition? I was there at the beginnings mm -hmm. of the mobile transition. I mean, I was there when we launched the first mobile games. Mm -hmm. And and when I left, I think our business was maybe, I, I, I'm not 100% sure, mm -hmm. maybe 70, 30 or 60, sure. 40 web to to mobile mm -hmm. but it was beginning to see every every studio was becoming a mobile studio mm -hmm. and then so what was that like just navigating that transition again i know you were there just in the earlier days you know because i think his like looking back you know people are like oh obviously you just put the games on mobile they're gonna work you know but at the time you, you know this wasn't so obvious in real time and i'm sure there are a lot of challenges uh, to navigate as well yeah of course look you went not only you go on a change of technology from building, you know, browser-based games mm -hmm. to building uh, native mobile games with touch screens and so forth. And you really need to design for the new device at the time. But the other part is a lot of the success at Zynga hinge on these social mechanics that depended on having those social distribution channels. And when you move to mobile, those social distribution channels became more limited mm -hmm. or become, became harder to reach. So I think that the team also needed to rethink, how do I grow? How do I think about retention? How do I think about app store optimization? How do I think about charts and ranking mm -hmm. that are gonna propel organic growth? All of these things became new playbooks to, to thrive and win in the market. And as I said, it, it took some time, but ultimately the company found some great success. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And now fast forwarding to another, you know, amazing uh, social platform that you have been a part of. Uh, what do you actually do as chief product officer at Roblox? What does that mean? Sure. So I work very closely with basically our product organization, which is product managers mm -hmm. and our data scientists and our designers. They are all part of my, the product, what we call the product plus plus mm -hmm. organization. And of course, I work very closely with my partner, the CTO of the company, with the engineering team, and of course, our CEO and the rest of the executive team. And, and part of the role is a combination of iterating on the vision and the mission of the company and thinking about how do we, how do we evolve what started you know, 15 years ago to achieve that amazing mission of connecting all these 
you know, billions of users in the metaverse. And we can talk about that, Yeah. but it also means that you need to work on the execution of those plans, mm -hmm. thinking about as you, as you have this vision and this amazing roadmap, how are you going to take these products to market? How are you going to execute on those plans and make sure that in a platform that actually has users and developers as stakeholders, what you're doing is very symbiotic and working for kind of your two stakeholders mm -hmm. in a synchronous way, in a way that it becomes a dance that allows the platform to continue to grow in a, in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you mentioned the metaverse, obviously the metaverse is like maybe the hottest buzzword in gaming right now. And so what does the metaverse mean to you, you know, either you personally or Roblox as a company? How do you think about the metaverse and why is Roblox well positioned to be a quote metaverse company? Yeah, no, great question. Look, I, I think there's a lot of talk about the metaverse mm -hmm. and I have found a way at least to simplify how I explain it, mm -hmm. which is, hey, the world is evolving from 2D flat UI and navigation and single player to immersive multiplayer. Mm -hmm. And this does not only apply to games, it applies to every single category in the market. So think about immersive and think about share and co-presence, mm -hmm. right? There are other attributes that we talk about, this notion that it's UGC and everybody can participate and be a creator. There are a lot of elements around having your identity and use your, your same identity across any experience that you go into and, and being able to self-express in different ways. But I think that the most important thing, and, and, and you mentioned at the beginning, Roblox mm -hmm. as a gaming company, I don't really see Roblox as a gaming company. I, I see it far, far bigger than that. Right. I think it's a platform that is enabling everybody to be a creator and create these amazing immersive experiences that could range from games to shopping, to concerts, to education, to you name it. I mean, mm -hmm. any single category that you can think about, you can think about adding the immersive layer and adding the co-presence and shared layer and I believe that you can create amazing products when you think about it that way. Mm -hmm. And part of this is a little bit of you know science fiction and uh, asking you to look into your crystal ball a little bit. But in the future, do you think there's going to be a world where there are multiple metaverses? Do you think there's going to be one dominant metaverse? Uh, what does it look like in your opinion, if you had to take a guess? Yeah, I think it's very entirely possible that there are multiple companies pursuing a vision of the metaverse mm -hmm. and an incarnation of it. Maybe they all approach it in different ways. Mm -hmm. So you will have multiple instances and multiple versions of this metaverse. I presume that there are going to be some common traits across these different implementations. Whether there's going to be, I mean, I, I believe that we have a very first shot at being one of the biggest players. I think yeah. we're, we're, we're the biggest player right now in some way. And I want to bet on our chances. But I think that there's nothing is going to prevent smart people to get together and think about undertake uh it's a big investment i can tell you that mm -hmm. and it requires a lot of building blocks pieced together so i don't think it's for the faint of heart and i think it takes time to build it roblox has been as i mentioned around for more than 15 years building the components and the pieces that now seem so obvious but mm -hmm. maybe we're not that obvious 15 years ago Right. And a lot of people think like virtual reality is a necessary piece of the metaverse. Is this necessary or is this a nice to have when you think about the future of the metaverse? I think it's going to be another form of consumption. I mm -hmm. look it, assuming that, first of all, I think that one of the premises that we think about the metaverse is 
we want to make it universally accessible. We mm -hmm. want everybody to have access to it on any capable device. And that means that I wish, you know, in, in every part of the world, someone could use a phone or a computer or a gaming console, maybe who knows in the future if a TV or a, or a set-top box. But the idea is to make sure that everybody can access it. Mm -hmm. I think VR becomes very interesting because by definition, it's a very immersive technology, but we'll see, you know, how that platform grows. And I think that as it grows, we at Roblox, I mean, we're agnostic. We mm -hmm. want to be there. We want to be in consoles. We want to be in phones and basically make sure that everybody can access the metaverse across different devices. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned, you know, the creation side of Roblox, you know, other than the metaverse, I think creation is the other thing that really gets at least investors really excited about Roblox. And so why is the creation element of Roblox so important? Well, I think, I mean, from the get-go, there's, you know, you could argue there's an element of democratization, but to me, it's actually this ingenuity and creativity of the masses. Like the most amazing thing about creating a platform for user-generated content, mm -hmm. and I have been fortunate enough to see it at YouTube as well in my past life, is mm -hmm. that you, you build the building blocks, you create the tools, but then the inventiveness or the inventive or the creativity yeah. of the broader community surprises you and surprises you in ways that you never expected to happen. Mm -hmm. So I think the power of enabling from the get-go and designed to be a creator community and to make it sure that this is not just for professional software developers. Right. This is for young kids or, or people who are learning to code for the first time all the way to people who want to set up a 20 or 50 person studio or an independent you know, developer who wants mm -hmm. to come into the platform. But I think that that gives you a ton of chances for many you know, flowers to bloom sure. and see what the creativity of the community brings to the platform. Mm -hmm. And then you know, an obviously important part of uh, social gaming is communication, right? And so there's recently an, an announcement that Roblox is gonna add proximity voice chat. So why now for proximity voice chat? And then what are some of the challenges inherent to adding proximity voice chat? And then as a follow-up and you know, tying back to our conversation before, what, what are some of the moderation challenges that Roblox has to deal with? Yeah, sure. So look, I think that if we think about shared experiences, communication is paramount. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's impossible to have amazing shared experiences if people are not able to communicate. Mm -hmm. Now, the most interesting thing is how do you make, you make that communication as natural as it can be, like it feels as equivalent as being in the same room together. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think when I think about the broader vision for communication in the metaverse is that, you know, we communicate using text, we communicate using voice, we communicate using video. In the future, we're gonna do immersive communication mm -hmm. where rather than chatting on the screen, you and I are gonna be taking a virtual walk around the beach or Paris, Champs-Élysées or whatever. <laughs> And we're going to be having a conversation, right? But more important than that, if I'm having a conversation as an avatar, I also eventually want my avatar to show expression and mm -hmm. emotion. I wanted to, you know, move their hands. And so, so I think that it's a great area for us to continue to pioneer and push forward. How do you remove the friction in the metaverse so that people can communicate in any way, shape or form they want, mm -hmm. depending on the context, depending on the, on the needs. So spatial voice for us was a natural evolution. We started with text, it was basic, but clearly 
There are times where you're moving around that you don't want to be texting. You just want to be using your voice. There have been some amazing, since we introduced it in beta for our developers, someone created an experience of a roller coaster mm -hmm. and with special voice, when the roller coaster is going down, people are like screaming. Yeah. And for the people participating in the experience, it just feels more real, right? right? So, so I think that voice plays an amazing role in creating a very seamless, natural experience mm -hmm. inside this immersive world. And then on moderation? Sure, look, I think that the reality is we, from the day one, we built Roblox with a safety and civility in mind. We really are striving and pushing really hard to build a safe and civil metaverse or, or through the community so that people can really enjoy those interactions with each other. So safety, moderation, all those things were part of our building blocks from the get-go. And we, we were really, really, really hard to keep the community safe. In any large platform, Moderation becomes the tool for people to be able to report those issues. And then, of course, as we develop more technology, we want to proactively and increasingly more proactively and automatically detect those things. Uh, at the same time, you always balance that with the ability to report and have a human review and a response to that. Mm -hmm. So another recent uh, pretty large announcement, not pertaining to Roblox, but just the gaming space in general, you know, in China, there was recently some uh, regulation introduced that restricts the amount of time young kids can spend gaming, right? And as part of this, you know, there's real ID verification. You know, I know they've been doing this for a while. And I think something like this in the US from a regulatory standpoint is nearly impossible, you know, but I did see Roblox recently added opt-in ID verification or age verification rather. What was the thinking behind this? And do you think there's any possibility of making something like this mandatory? Yeah, it's hard for me to speculate on, mm -hmm. on country regulation, right? I think for us, we want to have multiple tools and multiple ways for people to, from a safety standpoint, but also from an ID standpoint, to be able to map their Roblox ID to one single identity. Mm -hmm. So ID verification can be one way to do that, but in the future, there may be other ways to do it, right? You may be able to do that through phone verification. You may be able to do that through credit card. Age verification at the same time may allow us in the future or as we evolve the platform and want to take precaution on the safety side to make sure that the right user is presented with the right experience, right? And that may mean that, you know, if eventually in the platform there are experiences that feel more edgy or, or more violent or something like that, how do you make sure that the right users have access to the right content for them? Or, or as we were starting with chat, we wanted to make sure as we build all of the safety capabilities, as we ensure that things are really, really good, can you start with older users? And a good way to try to approach that is through age verification. Mm -hmm. So I, I wouldn't see it as the end goal and I don't see it as the only way. I see it as just one more tool to invest in safety and identity in our community. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so jumping around, a big piece of Roblox as a platform is that there's this big, robust ecosystem of, you know, developers and people creating for the platform. And in the past, you know, we've seen just as these new social platforms have emerged, there have been a lot of companies and founders building for these platforms that they themselves are able to find quite a bit of success as the platform itself grows. And so what are some of the ways in which Roblox sort of supports and enables its developers to sort of uh, capitalize off of a similar trend? 
Yeah, look, when your core DNA is user-generated content and a large community of developers, you really maximize for that. I mean, our community is now, I think it's more than 9 million developers and growing and growing really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And they have created more than 25 million experiences on the platform. So that means one of the things that we have taken upon us is to make sure that we make it as easy, as simple, and as frictionless to get started. Mm -hmm. meaning that you have access to all the tools, everything you need to start creating something on the platform, to learn to code, to find assets and meshes and you know anything you need to create your experience, to even connect with other developers that can support you to create your experience, to host your experience in our cloud. So if you are any person who just wants to get started is zero risk, mm -hmm. right? You just start getting Robux Studio, which is free. You start coding, our services kick in, kick in, and then you can start to publish your experience. Then the second thing is that because we have a large community, most of our developers really build through a lot of iteration. So they put their thing, out, their experience out there. Maybe initially they let their friends know, they come in, they get feedback, they keep iterating, iterating, iterating until the experience feels ready for Prime, and then they publish it you know, to everybody or, or they remove the beta sign on the mm -hmm. experience. And they have the opportunity to grow in a very organic fashion on the platform. And then for those who really crave or want to actually make a living out of this, then there's opportunities to monetize, right? right? So it's really, really self-serve end-to-end. And we have taken a ton of, initiative to remove all the friction to get started. Mm -hmm. And so at least in the startup world within gaming, you know, a lot of these emerging platforms that have a significant creation or UGC element to them are thinking about incorporating uh, NFTs and blockchain. And so that doesn't have to be Roblox specific, but how do you think about NFTs, particularly as it pertains to the world of gaming and creation specifically? Yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting space and I, and I love to see the amount of innovation that it's going into it. And, and I think, look, like most technologies that, or new technologies or new platforms, you need to think about the value proposition and mm -hmm. what of what you're building is unique. What you hear the most today is, well, with, you know, with these NFTs and blockchain, not only the experience is decentralized, but maybe you have the opportunity to create and earn or play to earn. Mm -hmm. I think that could be very interesting for some people to get started. But I think that over time, you're going to want more than just that. Yeah. Because first of all, not everybody's going to be a top earner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, initially may, many people may go to it to get rich, but eventually you're going to need to make sure that there's a true value proposition there. But, but it's a fascinating space. There's a lot of goodness in some of the ideas that are being brewed uh, as part of that, you know, new trend yep. and clearly I'm watching it and, and learning from it and trying to understand what are the key attributes that could be compelling for robots in the future. Mm -hmm. And then just again, looking into the crystal ball, how might you imagine value of blockchain and NFTs could increase, right? Because to your point, most of what we've seen so far is either play to earn or things like collectability and scarcity and those sorts of things. So when you think about actually utility, um, is there anything there that excites you or anything that you think uh, could be interesting? I mean, the things that I could think about is anything that you can do to remove 
any form of existing friction could be interesting for transaction payments, trading, and all those things. Mm-hmm. So if you really, really, but it's not friction free right now. Right. So if you really find a way to make on the promise of very seamless transactions, make the blockchain very utilitarian in that way, that could be a good way to think about it. I think clearly the other part is, hey, because it's decentralized, when you create something in the blockchain, many developers could choose to recognize that something and bring it forward in their creations, right? So there's an opportunity for the people who create these assets to have those assets leave Hmm. in many, many, many games and experiences. I want to believe that already at Roblox, you can do that because if you create a shirt or an avatar item and an avatar wears it, that avatar can wear it in every single experience, right. right? So it's yet to be seen to me exactly. I mean, there's a lot of promise, but it's exactly where are the key pieces. And like many technologies, by the way, I, I think it, it has a first shot, of course, mm-hmm. and it's doing very well. I mean, there's a lot of transaction and excitement right now, but it moved from the, okay, you got the early adopters to go there, maybe for the money or for the opportunity to create and earn. How do you attract their next wave of users? Right, makes sense. Okay, and I just wanted to shift, you know, briefly to a bit more of a more serious topic, right? And so when you think about gaming and tech, you know, these industries, unfortunately, are somewhat notorious for, you know, sort of diversity challenges, right? You see underrepresentation, you know, typically at, at some of these companies and in these industries throughout. And so how do you think about sort of the diversity challenges in the industry? Where do you see diversity in the industry going forward? And how do you think Roblox can improve the industry in some of these areas? Look, I think, you know, my, my personal take, and I'm from Latin background, so mm-hmm. I grew up in Venezuela. Companies will always benefit from having people, teams from a wide range of backgrounds, countries, race, education. And I believe that increasingly more people believe that. Mm-hmm. Because especially if you're building for the world, it's very naive to think that you can build with the world with one single point of view, Yeah. right? So I think that, you know, I'm of the principle that companies will benefit from that. We at Roblox are doing some clever things, I believe, in terms of how do we improve our processes of the funnel from where we recruit mm-hmm. and the selection to remove any bias in the process so that everybody really have a first shot independent of what school they came from or what country they came from or what background they came from. I personally, I grew up in Venezuela. That mm-hmm. makes me a Latino. Unfortunately, you know, I, I never saw that getting in the way of achieving my career goals. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate. And however, I'm cognizant that it's not the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I strongly believe in is that when you have the opportunity for people from different backgrounds to continue to grow through these companies and achieve leadership positions, it starts to create an interesting halo or network effect for multiple reasons, right? Mm-hmm. One, maybe these people, you know, with those backgrounds, but I think, by the way, you don't have to come from that background to be sensitive to right. diversity, mm-hmm. but may have, maybe may have an extra sensitivity, but more importantly, they become role models for other people in the industry to see, oh, I can do that. Oh, this company could be for me. Oh, I could achieve that role in the company. And it starts to create an amazing flywheel where you see more and more talent from, you know, less represented backgrounds mm-hmm. coming into, into these companies. Look, there's work to be done. No yeah. question in my mind. 
but I think that the good intentions to get this right, whatever right means, mm-hmm. are there. And people keep working really hard to make it happen because at the end of the day, I think the benefits you know, are great for the entire ecosystem, for the entire community, for the company itself. So, so it's a good thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's a, a great answer. And, you know, I think these discussions are just so important to, uh, to keep having. Yeah, but to sort of wrap things up in this sort of a concluding question, you know, you have uh, been at some really, really exciting companies throughout your career at very, very exciting times in their history. You've done it again. So going forward, you know, what do you still want to accomplish in your career that you haven't already? Oh, my God, uh, I have still much to learn and, and, and much to do, I hope. I'm, I'm very bullish about what we're doing at Roblox, both our vision and our mission. This notion of enriching how people come together, connecting a billion people or more in the metaverse with optimism and civility and really enriching the way we connect, create, express ourselves. It's, it's a very, very powerful mission. It's very early in this journey, even though you know we've been around for a while and have experienced tremendous growth. I think there's a ton more growth ahead of us and more things to do on, more opportunities, you know, challenges to, to address. So I personally have always loved building products that delight people, that people think are for. Those are the things that get me excited and motivated. As you mentioned, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to have worked in products that elicit that excitement from mm-hmm. communities. People love the Xbox at its time and continue to love it. Singa, you know, in the I remember people really found communities in Farmville and YouTube, you know, uh, (laughs) it's it's like, uh, in many ways, I joke that I I keep chasing jobs that (laughs) my kids are going to admire me for. So, so I believe Roblox is in that same, Mm -hmm. you know, category, uh, but with a ton, a ton of growth in front of it. So I'm excited about that. The other part of my career that I really, really, and this, this is something that probably happens with time that I've loved over the last, I don't know, 10 years, is this idea of growing as a leader, helping others grow and develop. You know, it's very inspiring to see when my peers or people who have worked with me in the past have become stronger leads and mm-hmm. go to do amazing things. So I also feel I owe it to, to try to, in any way, share what I have learned Mm-hmm. And, and help others take amazing steps in, in their careers. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, Roblox is going to be one of the most impactful companies in the gaming industry and beyond going forward. So very excited to see, you know, sort of what Roblox accomplishes and what you accomplish going forward. You know, but I just want to say thanks again for taking the time. Thank you, Chris. It was uh, very fun chatting about all these topics.